0: For our feature interview this week, it's a real treat to welcome back to the show our healer, our injury prevention specialist, Jason Kyo. Since 2012, Jason has specialized in running technique and has successfully trained and healed hundreds and hundreds of runners to overcome chronic injuries and become faster, more efficient athletes. He puts running technique and mobility as the primary foundation all other physical aspects of training should be built upon. I love talking to Jason as not only is he fantastic at what he does in JK therapy, but he is a fierce competitor as well. Jason won the titles Irish Mountain Running Champion and King of the Mountains in 2015 and 2017. He represented Ireland in mountain running and he is one of only a handful of runners who have won the prestigious Karen Tuchel mountain race, winning it in 2011 and 2017. Great to have you back with us on the show again and I'm really looking forward, Jason, to this segment here because we're going to talk about something that's very important for... Our listeners in lots of different ways Jason from anybody that wants to run faster or somebody that wants to learn about their body or somebody maybe that's a little bit broken and just who needs a different type of solution maybe to what they found elsewhere so I think Jason it's great to have you back and we're going to talk about biomechanical running assessments.
1: Oh, and how are you great to be back um, yeah looking forward to today's uh, segment uh, hello to all your listeners out there uh, just finished a busy day here in the clinic and uh, so I've sacrificed today's run to, to be here. <laughs> you know well, listen,
0: it, it, that's, it's great for myself, Jason, it's great for the listeners because you're somebody that you have your skill in the game, that you are booked up, you're fully booked up all the time, which means that you're doing good work. That means that these running assessments that you're doing... They're working for people. So uh, no matter who it is that's listening, whether they want to go faster, whether they want to learn or they want to keep those injuries away, let's get straight into it and tell us about the work that you do, Jason, that's helping so many people. And, and one of the, the key things that you're doing, and it's going very well, are the running assessments. For anybody that's thinking of getting one or thinks that they might need one, what does it involve?
1: So um, the, one of the services that I offer is a, a two-hour biomechanical assessment and uh, three, uh, generally three different types of, of uh, people that come into to me for this. So um, we've got someone who just kind of wants to get a bit faster with the running. So running is going well, but they want to just progress a bit further and they, they think they might be able to get some extra percentage gains from uh, having their technique looked at. Um, the other type of person would be someone who's maybe just new to running. They're only at it maybe a year or two and they might have seen a little, a few little niggles or injuries coming in and they know that running technique is important, but they don't quite know why or, or how it applies uh, to them. And they might have aspirations to do sort of some longer endurance runs, um, you know, maybe up to, um, you know, half marathon, marathon, maybe even ultra. In some cases, people just like to jump straight in. And then I guess the the majority of, of the, the the people would come to me then would be for sort of injury investigation, um, which we can uh, trace back to how it is they're running. If running is their primary uh, means of sport, so uh, they might have had an injury for you know a couple of years. They've spent uh, a lot of money with um, uh, with various different types of therapies, um, or you know uh, cross training um, methods such as you know you know uh, I don't know Pilates or it could have been yoga or you know different types of strength and conditioning um, or th- or general therapy. And they just can't, uh, they just can't get a, a purple streak going of running. So they're always the running is always interrupted. You know, they've got maybe four or five weeks of good running, then bang, out of nowhere, another injury comes. They're a week or two out, and then um, they can't do the training they need to do to progress as they are. So, so training is a very stop-go for them. So they're looking for answers there, and 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 uh, that's like a, it's, it's pretty much like an investigation um, that we do in, in that session.
0: And it's very different to, say, the gait analysis that you might get done in the running shoe shops where they'll see, you know, if you're pronating, if you're under-pronating, over-pronating, and then they'll give you a pair of shoes. And that's the be-all, end-all solution to all your running problems. There's your shoe that fits your stride, your gait, off you go. This is a lot more in-depth than that. And maybe bring us to, Jasper, what is involved in it. Like, are you watching people run on a treadmill over a period of time at different paces or or how do you get to produce the the results and the takeaways that people can take home with them
1: yeah so i i guess uh, the difference between the gait analysis and and what i'm doing here is that gait analysis is on taking video from behind and they're focusing on the foot and the, how the foot lands and strikes and then they try to get a shoe to correct whatever they see going on there. So whether that is over or supinated landing on the outside of the foot or, or whatever the case may be. But we have to remember that, you know, the shoe industry is, 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 a, is a billion dollar industry and it's all about sales. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, spe- speaking to someone who's designed shoes before, you know, shoes are designed, uh, you know, from a designer's perspective to be comfortable for the first 20 minutes of wearing them. And that's generally how long it takes to find the right fit when you go to the store. And then you buy the shoe and then, sure, that's not their problem anymore. Now, um, the shoe is a tool. and uh, But what we're doing here is if I was to change just something slightly about your running technique, you might need a completely different shoe. So it, it kind of, it's, they don't go, they don't go hand in hand, you know, trying to get the right shoe to, to, uh, for someone and then versus you know how they're running with their posture or, or whatever so there's two aspects i guess when we look at some of the running so when i look at them i'm looking first of all i'm doing a mobility assessment to see how their bones move how their muscles move and how their general mobility is and we look at that and how the feet move so how they pronate how they supinate going you know when you turn we're looking at the mobility of, of the ankles do you have good uh, plantar flexion do you have good dorsiflexion we're having a look at um, your hip mobility can you uh, sit in different resting positions on the floor and um, without feeling tight and sore and um, how the how your deep squat is so uh, one of the one of the best uh, ways to look at a runner is in a deep squat and if they can't do a deep squat that immediately raises a red flag for me and we go poking around to see exactly what is preventing uh, uh, doing a deep squat. Generally, most people who have a, a good resting deep squats, or some people would call like an Asian squat or you see a Slavic squat, uh, squat, and those people generally have good overall mobility and also uh, a lot of the time, much less injuries or, or uh, much less prone to injury.
0: What percentage, Jason, of people is it that come to you that can actually do a decent deep squat? Because if anybody's just at home listening and just Google what a good deep squat looks like, with the with with the ass essentially going right down to the to the floor, and your back in a lovely straight kind of ankle or angle, as opposed to the the hunched shoulders which maybe the majority of people do, I don't know, like without people having worked on it, Jason, is it something that people can still do? Or do you find that people who have been working in offices all their lives, that ability to do a deep squat just goes? Yeah.
1: With with, with all movements and mobility, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. Right. So you're, we're all born being able to do a deep squat. So you have children and I have children, um, I have a two and a four year olds, um, and when they sit down and play on the ground, they're sitting in this lovely deep squat, and it looks like nothing to them. So your deep squat is, is basically your portable chair that you have around with you at any stage. So if you go to a different, uh, if you go to Asia or, or Vietnam, which I've been to, they sit down at the at the bus stop. They're sitting in their deep squat, having a cigarette, and they might be there for half an hour, and it's it's very comfortable. And then when the bus comes, they flick their cigarette away and jump onto the bus, and off they go. And um, so the people that come in to me, I'd say uh, maybe about 20, 15, 20 percent would do what we call a traditional squat. So that's as they, they, if you can imagine doing a squat in an exercise class where you come down and, and your, your knees hit maybe a 90 degree angle and your yeah. kind of halfway down. So there are people who just cannot go down any lower than that. They're stuck in that position there. That's what we call a traditional Western squat. Yeah. The, next, the next level down will be someone who can get into a deep squat but their toes are off the ground. The fronts of their foot is off the ground. They're, they've got a lot of weight uh, on the back on the heels and they're about to fall over. If I went over to them and gave them a little push in their shoulder, they'd fall backwards on the floor.
0: And, and they're we, probably the ones that have are coming with the injuries, I suspect as well.
1: Yeah, well, traditional and unskilled, definitely. Um, and then I see very few skilled deep squat. And a skilled deep squat is someone who can sit down there very comfortable and have no pain, have no tightness anywhere in the hips or ankles or knees or anywhere like that and that's that would be a skilled deep squat um, now unfortunately we are starting to see i'm starting to see a lot of young children come in so like parents would would call me up and say look my my child doesn't run like all the other children on the on the gap pitch or the football pitch can you help them and you know when we when we bring them in and have a have a look at this 12 or 13 or 14 year old. They're actually, they can only do a traditional Western squat. They've completely lost their deep squat at age, at such a young age, which is as tragic as what it is, because that child now is set up for like pain and stiffness and probably not a very bright future in, in sports, you know, as they get older, because they'll just be very prone to injury.
0: Yeah, because they've probably been sitting in the classroom for, what, 10 years nearly at that stage and then going home and sitting at home in front of the TV. So, yeah, l- let's not go there. Let's not go there. So, um, but tell us, Jason, about when you see these issues, um, how can we go about fixing them?
1: Okay, so, um, so yeah, for hardware is 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 mobility. So that's when your, your skin has to be able to stretch, your fascia, which is like a little... Uh, little translucent type of sausage skin covering of, of your muscles that has to stretch the muscles have to stretch the, the ligaments and the tendons need to stretch so if you've got any restriction there they all have to be stretched out again and mobilized and that takes time like that's not something that happens in in a week or two weeks or or three weeks it, it takes a, a like a minimum of six weeks before we start seeing any sort of m- a meaningful change when when we try to Improve mobility, so ankle mobility, or hip mobility, or spine mobility. It takes literally six weeks of a lot of work on it. So that's not something I can do for clients. But I basically what I do is I rip them apart and say you can't do this, 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 and this, which you should be able to do. And this is how you get there. And so that's the plan I give yeah. after. So um,
0: I give them- can you speed that the elimination of that stiffness up? By some of the techniques that you do in the clinic, Jason, like um, dry needling, um, working on trigger points hands on with clients. It is, because I'm sure what happens a lot of runners is they might have it, have a tight calf, but they can get away with it for a couple of weeks. And um, then it becomes a little bit sore, but they've got a race coming up. So I'll just hang on for another month. I'll just keep on training. So by the time they get to their race, they've done their race, but they could have had a tight calf for three months and it becomes Mm. chronic then and then that stiffness just will not go away and it might result in actually a a proper full-blown injury then so
1: yeah so you you can do that right so the 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 supercharged quick shortcut way is you get some therapy work on it and uh, specifically dry gets the it gets the quickest results when we release the, the little trigger points or the little knots which cause tightness and great okay so that is something you can do but one of the things that uh, I try to show uh, all my clients in biomechanical assessments or just in normal therapy sessions is how to release tissue themselves and that's a soft tissue release protocol that I use so that's like getting your hockey ball or your baseball or your schlitter or your hurricane or your stick or whatever it is your foam roller and actually learning how to find the trigger points rather than just rolling up and down aimlessly, like trying to focus in, find the source, box, find the trigger points, and then learn how to release those yourself. So then you become your own therapist and you can be doing a lot of the work yourself. And then you just come to me when you when you need a real help and handout. So that's a way we, we could, you can, yeah, sort of accelerate that process of getting mobility back. But the best way is to put it as part of your daily lifestyle. So I'm, I'm a big fan of um, I'm a big fan of sitting on the floor on a hard floor, um, and when you sit on a hard floor in, in lots of different resting positions, right, it doesn't matter what position it is. you have to move your bones in a certain way that the muscles have no choice but to stretch naturally. So when you, when you think about, you know, when you look at, at mobility through an evolutionary lens, if you think about your grandfathers or your great grandfathers, they probably were very uh, agile and very mobile people. They probably had a manual labor job. They probably could do a, a deep uh, squat and uh, it would be no problems. And they probably had very few injuries, you know, unless it was trauma of some sort. And one thing you'll notice is that they were had a very active lifestyle. They moved their bones in, in different ways, which they were naturally stretching the muscles. And if we go back far enough, you know, the modern chair is only about 400 years old. So before that, we were ground living People, You know, if you go to places like uh, Africa or, or Southeast Asia or Japan or places like this, they spend time sitting on the floor when they socialize, when they cook, when they work, when they eat. So, you know, we don't do that anymore. So as a result, we're not using our full capability and then we're going to seize up and get stiff. And then we have to rely on on traditional stretching. Like, I don't have to worry about stretching anymore because I just sit on the floor. So like okay. you know, people, people say, you know, oh, I, I know I should stretch. Like that's the it's like people come into confession to be like, I know I should stretch and I don't, I don't stretch enough and I probably should. And I'm like, well, I don't stretch. But what I do is in my if I'm sitting down with the kids or playing with the kids or, if I'm, or relaxing and, you know, or watching something, I'll be sitting on the floor, we'll be sitting on the couch. And that's just a way to me to naturally stretch my, um, my, my muscles and, uh, and keep on top of my bone, my mobility.
0: Yeah, I know one of the elements of the assessment that you do, Jason, is the, the homework that you give the, the clients as, the, as they leave and for the exercises for them to do. And I know one of the sets is things like um, box jumping and how important that can be just to check in and first of all, to make sure that your body can perform a simple jump onto a step or can actually jump off a step. And I must be honest, Jason, I've actually become very lazy and even a little bit fearful about doing little jumps like this, just because I know there's so much tension and stiffness there that I can run all day long, but ask me to do a little explosive jump up or down. And I'm gonna kind of hesitate for a little while, but I know all runners should be able to do something simple like that. But yeah, we can just fall out of the habit of doing it and just lose that flexibility, lose that bounce. That's so important.
1: So you know when the, um, when you jump all the time on, you just don't realize it. Like you're doing a lot of mileage, and your running is literally jumping from one foot to the other. So when I see someone who is not running as I as I want, and I, I guess we, I didn't really explain that, but what we're primarily looking at is someone who's who is a was a very heavy over and heel strike. So when you have a, a heel strike, you're landing on a straight knee and you're not using your shock absorbers as, as you would. Yeah, uh, or as you supposed to, right? And that's what, that's what all the injuries can be traced back to. So if you're a runner, you're getting injured, um, it's probably because of your technique.
0: Yeah. Now,
1: what we're trying to do with the box jumps is we're trying to reintroduce jumping to the person um, and teach their brain that there's a better way to do it. So in fact, people know it instinctively. Most of the time when I get someone running here, they'll run on their heels on the treadmill, where, which is where I do my analysis. And then if I ask them to take off their shoes, 90% of them will land on a different part of the foot. They won't land on the heel anymore because it actually yeah. hurts. So their brain knows instinctively, but it's just that when they have a heavily cushioned shoe on, the brain can't distinguish that it should hurt me when I land on the heel. So it just says, oh, that's fine. You plow away there. And you can do that, right? People land on their heels all the time. So for some people, it's not an issue. Um, um, those people are, are few and far between, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but, but for the majority of people, they'll just they'll be continuously tied, stiff, and they're, they're regularly injured, like two or three injuries a year at least. Um, so mm-hmm. when we're doing the, the, the step jumps, what we're trying to do is we're trying to teach their brain that it's okay to land on their springs and, you know, if I was to ask you um, to, to stand up on a chair or a box and to land on straight legs, you wouldn't do it.
0: You're no, no, really, no. You're, you're
1: really <laughs> you yeah, because Any type
0: to- of a jump off a box, I'd probably hesitate. But like what you just said there, Jason, I'm a shocking heel striker. I've been heel striking all my life. And that's probably why <laughs> I can't jump up and down on boxes now as a result.
1: Well, you know, uh, as I said to you, some people do get away with it, but you know, there's there's a price to pay. So you can go and run on your heels, uh, you know, but uh, and it's actually easier; it's less energy to run on your heels when you when you when you run. But but the the trade-off is injury and stiffness. So you know, if you want to be training seven days a week and you want to be performing to you know your your highest capability, then you know that's probably not the way you're going to be doing it, and. The thing about modern footwear is that, as you know now, the shoes are getting bigger, and bigger, and bigger, and we have, you know, the carbon plate shoes and that, and that does the senses even further. So, you know, it's um, it, it can be, it's a hard one to, it's a hard one for people to 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 maybe see the 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 cost uh, benefit uh, you know uh, yeah. ratio to it.
0: Um, some of the other exercises just that I know that you recommend to people as well and and your reports are very good Jason because I've seen them and y- you give full photographs of the different stages of all the different exercises that are needed um, and and w- when I went through them because I, I did a lot of these exercises when I was working with yourself and many many years ago when I was going through my injury problems and thankfully all the exercises that you guys recommended at the time they were all brilliant and I found them actually all very relaxing Jason as well things like the the chest openers just the thoracic mobilizers to open up your lungs to to try and just work on relaxing your shoulders not only will they improve your running but as you're doing these exercises you know you don't have your mobile phone in your hand and and you you, there's a great sense of well-being that you're actually just fixing and opening up your body again and I remember doing the chest openers for example and, and it was it was a great one
1: yeah, so uh, yeah, and for anyone listening, a chest opener is, is basically when you get a, a broomstick handle over your head and you're just trying to keep your arms locked out straight and bring it behind you and just give extension into the spine. So, extension is, is how we get faster, we, we extend from our spine and we fall forward. So, if you don't have very good uh, uh, spine extension, like you're not going to be as fast as you could be. So, you know, again, when we're, when we're doing something like uh, chest openers, that's that's covering two different, different aspects. One is that we're trying to make a hardware change. So we're trying to stretch all the tissue and mus- muscle around the, around the chest, the shoulders and the spine. We're trying to mobilize the spine. So that's all hardware changes. And then the second thing is we're trying to reset software. So if you are spending all day sitting down with a laptop or on your phone or driving, a lot of us have our head forward like that. And you know, when your head is perfectly balanced in your head, it's it's about five kg. Like it's it's a crazy weight. Five, I don't know if you know what if you can uh, uh, remember what five kg feels like. But when I take someone's head here when I'm doing therapy work and I'm holding their, the the full weight of their head, I'm literally bowled over by how heavy it is. It's like it's it's a crazy weight. So when you have it on your shoulders and, and you know if your runners are, are going there or if anyone out there distances while they're running, if you're standing upright, you, you don't feel the head at all. But if you slowly start to let the head fall forward, lots of different things change. So your um, the head becomes heavier. It becomes not just five kilos, but like seven, nine kilos. And then when you're running, it's twice your body weight. So you multiply that by two. So it could be Anywhere from um, 14 to 18 kilos, you're feeling with every single step you take with this head on your, on your shoulders. That causes your neck, shoulder, your neck, uh, your neck and trapezius muscles to be tight. You'll get pains in the back of your shoulder blades, especially on the longer runs or after them. And so, when we do the chest openers, um, we, we're sh- we're making changes to the to the tissue, but we're also resetting the software to say, "Oh, this is where I should be. I shouldn't be forward like I was all day long, sitting at my desk." I need to be upright and balanced with good posture when I run. And then we're more likely to run with that good posture. So we're kind of resetting software. We've been running bad software if we're slouched over at our laptop. And then we're kind of resetting that software to say, oh, we're upright now. There's other tools we use to do that as well.
0: Well, you were just talking there, Jason, about the, the top of the body. Let me bring it right down to the other side of the body and talk about the toes, because one of the things that you do as part of the assessment is you look at toe strength and toe flexibility, and people might laugh at that, but it it is actually important that you can actually flex out your toes, isn't it? Um, And it's actually a a key part of being a healthy runner.
1: Yeah, so the feet, uh, feet are kind of a dirty word in running. We think that we just put them away into our shoe and the shoe does the job for us. Where really it's, it's, we have this incredible bit of hardware uh, on the, hanging off the, bottom, uh, off the bottom of our, uh, our shins called our, called our, our, our feet. And uh, a healthy foot um, is incredibly important. So, some of the things I'm looking for in someone's foot is uh, how they pronate the foot. So, that's how they roll in on it, how they supinate the foot, how they roll out on the foot. And if you don't have good pronation or supination in the feet, it actually has a knock-on effect all the way up to your spine and how, how far you can turn around. So um, when you look left, your left foot should supinate and your uh, right foot should pronate inwards. And you should be able to twist and corkscrew all the way around and look behind you. But if your foot is stuck, if you're not quite supinating on your left foot, it means some bones aren't articulating as far as they should. And then that has a, a knock on effect to the next bone because he can't articulate as far then as well either. And then the next and the next, and it has a chain reaction all the way up to the top. And then the end result is you can't look around yourself as far as you should be able to. And um, mm-hmm. so that's one thing we look at there with the feet. So it, it affects on how we move our spine and look around. So if we've got a blockage down the feet, we need to sort that out to, to get better mobility up in the spine. The other thing is we look at things like Morton's toe, uh, hammer toes, bunions, squash toes, and a lot of these uh, a lot of these um, problems come about from years of footwear. So you know when we were growing up, uh, all our folks put us in you know the best footwear that they thought you know. And you, you know I hear it all the time from parents coming in and oh you know Johnny has a great pair of of, of well supported shoes. It's, it's Asics I think or something like this. They'll tell you. And I kind of cringe a little bit because I'm kind of like, you know, uh, they don't really understand that they're kind of messing up their kids' feet um, when they put them in these in this footwear. They're trying to make, uh, they're trying to use uh, shoe technology to compensate or to protect the foot when the foot has all the, has everything it needs. Like we've, we've evolved through thousands of years with this incredible uh, bit of equipment at the, at the, uh, at, uh, on uh, the bottom of our legs. So when we're looking at uh, hammer toes and that and, and squash toes, we're looking to see um, if it's affecting maybe how they're walking or how they're running. And there's with some people, they're in such a bad state that they need to do sort of foot rehab and you do particular exercises with them um, to, to change the shape of the foot. So ideally what you would look for in, in a great foot is something like a hobbit foot. Your foot should look like Frodo Baggins basically
0: yeah well, it's something that i really enjoy doing and uh, as you mentioned the hobbits as i'm watching tv series at night time when i'm enjoying um, the rings of power tomorrow and jason as i'm watching tv series at nighttime, i have my legs we're going kind to of spread out on the couch and i actually love doing those toe exercises that you're mentioning there trying to just increase that gap between my big toe and my fourth um, toe and it's really enjoyable to do and it's actually it's a great challenge to try and get those five toes, first of all, fully moving and fully flexible and just trying to eliminate any, any tightness that's there, any blockage that's there to make sure that that squash toe syndrome is fully eliminated from all the office shoes and for, for the girls, all the high heels that they've been wearing over the years that do really squash the big toe right in up against the fourth toe. And It's a, it's, it's a really enjoyable challenge to try and spread them all back out. When you, when you
1: have, a, when you think about when you have a, a squash foot, right, you've got a smaller base of support to land on now. And mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to take as much force. You're not going to have as much power off. So yeah. you don't want a skinny looking little foot. You want a big monster foot with a, with a wide base of support on it. And you yeah. can do, two, there's two things that you can do for that. Um, just like people, I know runners like equipment and all that sort of stuff. And um, so, you know, one great way of doing that is wear a wider shoe and get a shoe maybe which is uh, which allows your toes to go wider. So, you know, there's some uh, there's more and more brands out there. So the one I like is would be Vivo Barefoot. They're a great one for a casual shoe or a or a technique training shoe. They're good for as well. And you can also get the likes of Ultra who have a wider toe box. And there's a few others out there. And so give go up a size and um, and just give your, your foot a bit uh, more space. But also be careful of. Wearing elasticated socks because elasticated socks you could have the widest shoe possible, but if you're wearing elasticated socks, you're still in a in a your foot is still in a, in, a, in a bad position. Other things you can do, you can get is um, correct toes these type of little separators in between, and if your shoes are wide enough, you can wear them around all day long and even go on runs with them. And, uh, and then you'll have a wider base of support when you're walking and running so they're kind of little little things you can do to improve uh, foot health and then all, also go barefoot as much as you can so at home most of us are working at home these days um, and uh, if, you, if you're if you out and about in the garden kick off the shoes
0: and absolutely for the little people as well I, I try to I try not to put on shoes as much as possible onto my uh, one and a half year old Leia here she is barefoot 99% of the time at the moment which is great and um, Jason that's been an incredible um, review of that assessment that you do thanks a million very comprehensive just to talk about the practicalities of it Jason for anybody that's listening and wants to give you a shout whether it's this side of Crips, Christmas or before it'd be a great Christmas present for anybody that's listening as well and um, how long does it take to get an appointment with you how long does the actual assessment take itself and maybe just even in terms of budget how much would something like this cost
1: so um i'm just uh, going through my calendar here so it's actually it's 15th of november is my next availability um for that we need it's it's kind of difficult to get these sessions in because we need a two-hour block to do it. so yeah. it's a two-hour session sometimes it even goes on a little bit longer if i'm not watching the clock um and um that costs 150 euros for that uh, okay. the two hours and you also get your written report sent to you uh, a few days later with, with uh, your, your specific homework, I guess you can call it. Um, and then typically what, what people would do then is maybe uh, every four to six weeks they drop back into me and we'd have a look to see what's stuck, where they're maybe making mistakes. If they need any therapy work, we would do that at the same time. And that's just our, my normal uh, therapy rates uh, uh, for any follow-ups. Typically, I'd see someone maybe uh, for a follow-up a running technique. I might see them maybe three or four times, maybe three or four one-hour sessions after that over the course of maybe six months, um, maybe even longer. And, and generally, then, I don't see them for years because they're uninjured. And
0: then they come to me then when they have a problem. And yeah, then, when, when, when they need an NCT check-in. Yeah,
1: that's it. And then and when you look at them run, they're usually making two
0: just two simple
1: mistakes for most people. And, and for that, it's most people, um, their their cadences drift down um, a little bit too low, or maybe they're not picking their feet up high enough. And that's kind of it. And then you just give them a little reminder, to like, oh, yeah, that's what it used to feel like. And then their injuries just tend to disappear then
0: yeah well it, it's something that works so well I said I, I did the full assessment and um, a couple of years ago Jason and it helped me get out of my injury rut back in 2016-17 it worked a treat and I know even one of the athletes that I'm coaching now for Dublin has been in with you and he got the full assessment done he got the full 10-page report as well and he's going for hopefully a sub three hours comfortable as a comfortable sub three hours now in, in what 10 days time and he's coming for maybe he's around three hours 28 and with your help Help and stay injury free and even a couple of niggles that he did have over the last couple of months he's got them sorted and hopefully we'll get him safely under three hours now next sunday so listen thanks a million for your time great to hear that the business is going so well if you're booked out it's a sign that people are getting fantastic results from you. And if anybody is interested in that assessment, do get the booking in soon. A great Christmas present for any runner in the family as well. Jason, thanks a million for your time. And listen, best of luck with everything. And hopefully see you back racing and running maybe sometime soon as well.
1: Sure, though. And listen, thanks. I appreciate it very much. Okay, thanks a lot. Have a good day.
0: wrap for this week everybody thank you to jason and to renee for their great insights this week and to jason especially for his support of the show during the month of october and do make sure to give jason a shout if you feel the legs might need a helping hand over the winter months to reach their full potential in 2023 A quick reminder to pop over to Patreon.com to support the show if you like what we do to help keep us going at the Trail Running Ireland podcast. And finally, good luck to all of our trail and mountain runners across the mountains of Italy this weekend and Thailand in just under a fortnight's time. And we even have a few Irish runners in the famous Transvolcania in La Palma this weekend too. What a great race that is. Everybody, let's get our running gear on. Let's go.